This is the Dive Bomb Squadcast, presented by Dive Bomb Industries. What's up, guys? Asher Tolliver here with another episode of the Dive Bomb Squadcast. I uh, hope you all are doing awesome and enjoying some great days in the field. For those of you that follow us on social media, you already know we just got back from Cold Bay, Alaska, chasing Black Brand, and wow, what a trip that was. Total bucket list experience, highly, highly recommend. Moving forward, I got my man Nick Costas on here to co-host with me, and we are joined today by our friend in South Dakota, owner of Flatland Flyways, Mr. Alex Russo. Russo, what's happening, man? Not a lot. Thanks for having me on here, guys. Yeah, man. Thanks for joining us, Nick. I know uh, we don't spend too much time apart this time of year, and you've been away from me for over, what, like 24 hours. Are you missing me yet? <laughs> it's nice to have you off my... Uh off my freaking back <laughs> yeah all right well let's jump into this thing all right russo can you tell me when flatland flyways was officially established uh what was your motivation behind starting a premium waterfowl outfitter can you just kind of give us a, a little introduction to flatland flyways yeah so basically flatland flyways is, was officially started in 2013 um when we built the lodge that would have been the following year so 2014 i guess would be when we actually started the i guess attempt to have a premier outfit and location for people to come and have a waterfall adventure um basically the the drive of starting it was obviously the cliche thing everyone says is the passion of waterfall hunting that we all shared up here um, and grew up on. And obviously it was kind of always a, a dream that a lot of kids, you know, had or have watching other hunting shows or videos growing up. I know like the, the zinc videos and the Avery videos that we used to watch kind of really got us in, in drive mode to try to, you know, make waterfall hunting our livelihood. Um, so that, I think that's very similar with a lot of people around the country. Um, it's just that I was fortunate enough. And I, I say that with a lot of meaning behind it, that I had a group of people, um, including my family, my friends, um, a lot of landowners up here that I know that were willing to jump on board with me and support this thing to make it click. So now I know you've got a, you've got a military background. What branch of the armed forces did you serve? You, you served in the army, right? No, I was actually in the Marine Corps. You're in the Marine Corps. And what years were you active? And I assume this is something that you started, you know, once you got out. Yeah, so I uh, I actually enlisted as a reservist um, when I got to my unit in North Dakota. There was a deployment opportunity. Um, I say that with all seriousness because there's a lot of times you don't even get to deploy. So I that that's why I joined. I wanted to deploy. Um, me and a bunch of my buddies volunteered to go to Afghanistan. Um, that would have been in 2012. Um, I got home in 2013. Um, and then we had a deployment to Africa. And when I got home, I started having some issues medically, uh, that started originated in Afghanistan with my back. And then I had another injury to my knee and Basically, that was when a lot of the drawdown was happening a few years ago when they were downsizing our military. So I got kicked out and it was kind of a bummer because I, I honestly, when I enlisted as a reservist, um, I mean, I'm not ashamed to say it. I was a little bit timid of the military right away. Um, so I kind of wanted to feel it out. I really enjoyed it like a lot. And I wanted to go farther into the service. One of the things that I kind of set my sights on with one of my best friends was uh, MARSOC, which is the Special Operations 
unit with the Marine Corps. Um, mm-hmm. but I didn't get to do that, which kind of bummed me out. Um, for about a year, I was kind of a hot mess because that's all I wanted to do. Um, but I just realigned my sights to what I could do to serve in other ways. And guiding was something that I saw as service to, you know, people in this country, um, that people want to go on trips that are, you know, it's some an experience that you can't just go anywhere. And so I, I really buckled down on it and went forward with it. And now here we sit where I think that our, our staff and group of people that we've surrounded ourselves with has really taken to and delivered on that, that vision and that passion that I've had um, since that injury and since starting Flatland Flyways. Awesome. And before I have Nick jump in here, what can you, can you tell me briefly about like your waterfowl hunting background? Is this something that, did you grow up doing this with your, your dad, a grandfather, an uncle, a brother? Um, Were you really young? Is it something that you got into later? What, what got you into waterfowl hunting? I mean, I assume being from South Dakota, it's something that's almost just kind of bred in you. Um, but can you tell me a little bit about that? Yeah. So, I mean, honestly, it's a good question because, you know, a lot of people today, I know we've talked about this before through text message, you know, a lot of people today um, take a lot more credit solely than they do give credit to where credit is due. And, you know, I, I grew up hunting with my dad um, just out back here behind the lodge before it was here. And we sat basically in these little hill pits. And if we, if we shot a goose, we were ecstatic. I didn't really grow up, you know, decoy hunting. We went to places, um, pier, our capital, we went out to the river there and we would shoot late season honkers and lessers out there on decoying, but I actually was fortunate enough to have many gentlemen throughout my life kind of take me as like a younger brother and, and show me how they hunt. And that's where I I would say I was 14, 13. Um, I really started to get exposed to decoy hunting. Um, I started working for a friend of mine uh, that ran hog barns and saving up money and putting all my money that I could into decoys, you know, Christmas, birthdays, everything I asked for decoys, decoys, decoys. Well, by the time I was 16, 17, I was really fortunate. You know, I had trailer equipment, a lot of friends that had equipment, um, and we all kind of shared the same passion. And the, the biggest thing, you know, that sometimes we take for granted is where we are in location, you know, purposes like where we grew up hunting Sand Lake National Wildlife Refuge and South Aberdeen, South Dakota and West Aberdeen. And I mean, this is kind of the bottleneck part of the migration that comes out of North Dakota into South Dakota. I mean, we've got an ample amount of waterfalls. So we never had, we didn't grow up in Sioux Falls where we had to drive, you know, not all the time, but you had to drive travel to go find big flocks of mallards or massive groups of snow geese. We, you could go two miles out of town and find that. Um, so we we're really lucky and there's a lot of people in my life that made this happen. That's where a lot of people miss that is that someone somewhere sparked your interest in waterfall hunting. You didn't just go out by yourself and then all of a sudden you just figured it out. Uh, there's there's always people throughout every single year, every season that you hunt, whether you're 13 or 25 or 45, every single year that you go out, every season you go out, you learn something new or you hear a story or an experience that drives you further maybe to change, you know, how you hunt, what, what field you're hunting, how you hunt mallards, how you hunt hawkers, whatever it is. Um, and so we're, we're just really, really, really lucky. Our clients ask us all the time, like, how'd you grow up? And I said, Hey, we're blessed to be able to, this is, this is where we started hunting. You know, a lot of people would kill to be in the location that we are. And we were fortunate enough to be raised here. So 
Mm-hmm. Now, Nick, I want to I want to bring you in real quick, and I want to I want to learn about how you met Alex Russo and learned about Flatland Flyways and what they got going on. Can you give us a little background story on that? Yeah. So, um, I, uh, I'm an owner of split read and, uh, uh, Russo or my partner, Duncan, um, he hit me up about Russo. I'd talked to him about wanting to do some stuff and, uh, I'd seen their page, but you know, I, I don't think I had actually talked to Alex and Duncan had kind of been the point of contact. And, um, I went up there last year to do some photos and video stuff with the split read guys and, I got there and I was just immediately like, okay, this place is, this place is dialed. It was just like, it's very nice, but it's not, it's, it's more of the organization timeliness. Like you never standing around, like, I don't know if we're hunting this afternoon, no one said anything. Like it was just, it was top notch. It was just, like every, every, like you knew if you had time off, you knew if you need to be ready for another hunt, you knew what time dinner was. I mean, it was just, it was badass. And then, um, yeah, I got along great with Russo and, um, we hunted for a few days, had some awesome hunts. And, uh, after that, I remember I called you Asher and basically was just like, dude, we, I mean, if anyone, cause you know, Asher and I've been to outfitters all over the country and, you know, we always kind of talk about outfitters and different places we've been or we go. And I was like, man, this is a great one. Like it's, it's dialed. Like, you know, like you'd feel confident sending someone there. Um, so, you know, we started talking about dive bombs and Russo and, you know, he, and kind of, that's kind of when we started kind of talking back and forth about like, man, it'd be sweet to get him to run some dive bombs. And, uh, yeah. Yeah. I just remember you came back from that visit and you called me, you said, Asher, you're not going to believe this place. There's, there's literally not one thing I can think of that they could have done better from the communication hospitality friendliness to the hunting itself these guys are like you said they're dialed we've got to find a way to somehow and we're pretty get them involved with dive bomb we're pretty critical too i mean just because we go every every, we just get the opportunity to see the ins and outs of every you know every outfitter and what they're really really good at and maybe maybe not what they're not quite as good at as somebody else. And, um, you know, everywhere we've gone, we've just had a a wonderful experience and it's been, you know, these guys are great, but you know, there might be like little areas that, you know, maybe somebody does a little bit better than others. Yeah. I just couldn't find one. It wasn't like, man, their trailers were fucking a mess or they're, uh, you know, they're, uh, they set out crappy spreads or they didn't brush their blinds or, you know, like, the guide was drunk. I mean, there was like no, there was nothing that like, there was no like, yeah, they were great, but it was just kind of like, man, it was just a smooth, well-oiled machine. I do go on here to say that he's just given an example. We have never gone anywhere yes. and there's yes, been a drunk is. guy. So let me make sure I clear that up. So there's nobody wondering, where did she, where did Dabo hunt? There was a drunk guy that yeah, never happened. Right. That's that, was just a, an example. that was a terrible example. <laughs> no, but, but, but I understand what you're saying. It can be even just the smallest stuff, but then you leave somewhere and you start trying to nitpick and you're like, man. So I remember saying, man, like do whatever it takes, just get it done. This one's, you know, this one's on you, buddy. So Nick, how did you convince a guy that's been running nothing but some of the finest full body decoys in the world, the decoys I'm referring to are Dave Smith decoys to giving dive bomb two dimensional silhouettes a shot. Well, I, I'd mentioned it to him and, um, I think, you know, Russo was, he kind of had his own program going and with Dave Smith and kind of, I, he wanted to provide the highest quality, you know, possible. And, um, yeah, I, I'm not, I'm, I don't want to ever be like a salesman, you know, it's like, you know, I'm like, Hey man, like, it'd be cool if you ran it, but like, you know, if you got your program, that's all good. And, but then he mentioned, you know, Russo was mentioning some of the pack-ins they had to do. And, you know, I think we talked about like it being a tool, like a, an accessory for, you know, wet fields or you can't drive in. I wasn't, you know, we never said, Hey, you know, you should sell your Dave Smith's and go hundred percent dive bomb. It was kind of like, you know, those days you can't drive in and pull the trailer right up to the spread. Like instead of having your guides hike a mile in with 10 trips of decoy full bodies, you know, like this could be a good tool, you know? And, uh, I mean, it wasn't an easy, it wasn't an easy, easy getting him on board. 
Yeah, I mean, and, and quickly, guys, this just so we're clear, this is not a conversation telling you to cash in your full bodies. That's not what this is about. Full not bodies are they're a great tool. And those of you that follow along in our social media, you've seen us say that many times. This is simply a conversation about a man's experience that had some hesitation about giving them a shot and what he has noticed since doing so. You guys know it's critical to have many tools in the arsenal. There's no rule that says you have to run full bodies or you have to run silhouettes or you can't mix them. There's a lot of ways to get the job done depending on the scout, wind, weather, field accessibility, et cetera, et cetera. Now, with that said, Russo, let's talk about your first hunt running silhouettes and how you were feeling going into the hunt. So it was actually kind of funny. It was probably, I don't know, three, four weeks ago. And we were, honestly, when we got the silos here, I kind of looked, I'm like, geez, like, I don't know about that. Like, I, I just, it's something so foreign to me and that I was so against, but I was willing to give it a shot. So I'll be honest, they sat in our trailer for, a lot longer than I thought before we used them um, because we are big Dave Smith guys. And, and I know with confidence, you know, when I used to run GHG and we would run 150 plus decoys at times um, and we switched to Dave Smith, we would run three dozen Dave Smiths and shoot more geese responding 10 times better than we did with bigger spread. So that's why, when the dive bomb conversation started, I'm like, well, guys, like we're crushing these things with very few decoys. Um, but it was, like I said, about three, four weeks ago, we were in a silage field. Obviously silage is, is a lot darker than a combine cornfield. You don't have as much contrast with yellow, um, to dark. And we know all those things, you know, those are things that we have in our our toolbox that we've learned over the years is visibility and concealment and all those things, contrast, cloud, sun, how you, how you set spreads. And so we set a, a spread of full bodies and actually the clients were coming out, like literally driving out in the field and the landowner and his son were coming out from the other way. And I just, in my, we, we had a, a, a bag, so five dozen uh, dive bombs. And it was sitting next to the corner and our plan was, hey, if these geese come and they don't really see us that well, because Dave Smith's don't stick out in in dirt as well or, or darker fields. I was like, I'm going to throw these dive bombs out. Well, I started thinking, I was like, well, there's like five, 600 geese in here. And once they start boiling off, you don't have a lot of time to just go run out there. So... I just made an elective decision and in my own head, I'm like, I'm going to stick these things out. So I started sticking them in the ground and Nick Glott, one of our guides, my, our buddy started smiling. He started giggling and uh, Mitchell, who's one of my best friends and basically the right hand man here, the manager, he's kind of, he was super skeptical. He didn't say anything, sure. but I could read his body language. Like, what is he doing? And no one said anything, no one moved any decoys and the first bunch comes in and well, it was a pair and they land. I had a few family flocks on the downwind side and they land in the dive bombs. And I look at Mitch, I said, Oh, they like the dive bombs. And then he kind of, well, then the next pair comes, does the same thing. Then a flock of five comes, does the same thing. And I just kept riding them about dive bombs i said oh they like the die it was all a joke but it was just sure, funny how, sure. how it worked out well we pulled those dive bombs from the bottom and we put them up to the head because they weren't getting across the entire gun line that we had and so then they started finishing front and center um which i still i got to get you guys some of that footage but we shot, we ended up shooting our geese. I think we had nine guns out there and it's an eight bird limit. So we crushed these things. And I was like, holy smokes, like I'm actually really comfortable now, you know, mixing these. I never was for mixing decoys like sure. that ever. I, I don't like mixing decoys. Well, what we found out is those decoys popped so well in that field. I think the visibility caught their eye, you know, a mile away as they're approaching the field and it helped get them to hone in on us a lot earlier than 
what they would have just full bodies. Well, we used a lot more minimal calling. Uh, we weren't out there trying to be competition callers. Sure. Um, a lot more flagging. It just seemed like they responded. Well, then we started going on more hunts. And what I found out is any business that you run, efficiency and speed are two things that you always want. And so we started setting just dive bomb spreads of 20, 25 dozen dive bombs. And we were shooting them really, really well. And not only were we shooting them really, really well, we were shooting 60, 70 bird days with zero wind. And when I say zero wind, I mean like wind where if someone had a cigar lit, the smoke's going in four different directions. And we were putting them front and center, 15 yards, backpedaling, 12 inches off the ground. And so then it really started to click in my head. I'm like, holy smokes, we can set these things up in 20 minutes. We can shoot 60, 70 birds. The clients are jacked and we can pick it up in 10 minutes. And now I'm not like you guys said, and, and obviously Dave and Brad know that I'm a Dave Smith guy, but sure. they also, everyone understands I'm running a business and my business, my goal, my mission has nothing to do with looking good. My mission is to provide the best customer service possible. That's number one. That's before the hunting. And then when we get to the hunt, my job, my mission is to give you the best hunt with the most birds, with the closest birds, well-finished birds that you can take an ethical shot, no pass shooting, any of that, or jacking them at 50 yards. And so when this started to happen, it was funny. And this, I'm not making this up. The other day I, I was busy in the morning. So they took a, a group out um, duck hunting. And we run all full body mallards. We run spreads of 20 to 40 dozen massive spreads of full body mallards. And it was hilarious because the one guy that wasn't really on board with it, Mitch and Nick said, uh, they set full bodies, but they set dive bomb mallards in it too, a bunch of them. And they shot their ducks. Nick said they were landing in between the panel blind and the, and the, spread at you know two yards three yards and they come back and they told me that and I just kind of smiled because I was like well that's you know sometimes taking a leap of faith and just kind of swallowing your pride um a little bit and saying hey you know we're going to give this a shot what's the worst that's going to happen you try it two or three times maybe it doesn't work and you go back to what you're doing but in this situation that's not the case we tried it and it works and it takes a lot of pressure off my guides um it takes a lot of work off my guides it gives them you know a little bit more rest in the morning because they can leave maybe a half hour later because they know hey we can set these things up a lot quicker um, you can make adjustments. That's the big thing. The biggest thing when you're guiding is you're reading the birds. That's your job. Your job's not to kill birds. Your job's not to sound like the best caller in the world. Your job is to read those birds and get them close. Well, if they're not doing it right, or they're sliding to the right, or maybe they're hanging up short of you. Now you can hop out of the blinds and in a minute to two minutes, you can switch your entire spread and then re reread those birds. And that's a tool that is very, very valuable because the number one thing that when you're taking people out and you're the guide, if you're not making adjustments and birds aren't working, that's not okay. And so if you're out there moving decoys and then the birds are working, that, that really shows. And if you can do that in a fast and efficient way while birds are boiling off the roost to you, I mean, come on, that's a win. That's a win all around for everyone. And so that's why, well, I just ordered more from you guys. Um, you know, when we, we get some specs in October, late October here um, for about two weeks. And so uh, Brennan Hudson has been up here helping and, and brought clients up here. Beans Canada was shut down and, and he, he likes to shoot specs as well as Austin Kaufman does. And so I got some specs and honkers. I said, I want to run like a big dive bomb spread and try to shoot specs and lessers when they come through in October. Th these are things that you couldn't have paid me last year. I think okay, I would man. say that. I know. That's, that's, what's so, that's what's so awesome. That's why we wanted to have you on here because it was like 
polar opposite. So yeah, it was a bill to swallow when it for when they when they showed up. I was kind of like, oh, what am I doing? I mean, but, I, I can see how there could be some hesitation. I mean, Dave Smith makes a hell of a decoy. It's a it's an incredible detail. The aesthetics, the paint. I mean, it is it's an unbelievable decoy and. One of the big sorry, go ahead, Nick, and I'll. I was just gonna say, like, he just had like you had a program that worked, and it was kind of like, why, if it's broke, don't fix it. That's kind of like how I felt like you were, and I was like, man, he's got the best program I've been to. So it's you know, it's not like it's not like you. I don't know. It's just cool that you gave it a shot because I know it wasn't just like, oh yeah, let's just this will be no big deal. Like let's just run this. It was kind of a man. I've got a program. I've got my whole system, like it was a change. I mean, anybody that follows uh, our Facebook group, our, our private Facebook group, they'll see that it's almost kind of come this running joke, this this question, can you mix silhouettes with full bodies? It's seriously, it's almost become a joke because it'll get asked on there like every, I, mean, every I, have, I have to decline it almost every day because people get so angry whenever I pass it through because you'll have 20 comments and nobody people will be like, use the search function. Like, please, this question has been asked a hundred times. So I'm going to go on record right now. We're going to address, sure. we're going to address this right here, right now, Alex Russo. Can you mix full bodies with silhouettes? Because you, you've recently sent over some nasty pictures, slow motion video clips, mixing them with the DSDs. And I actually shared one of these clips in our Facebook group the other day. So, Right here, right now, can you mix them, and what kind of results, other than what we've just talked about, which I guess we basically covered it, but what kind of results have you witnessed so far this season doing so? I would say absolutely, 100%. I uh, I kind of ate crow on that because I was a non-believer in it. Um, but one of the things that really kind of pushed me over the edge is we know uh, – Scott trying it with molt gear and I know Scott out in Minnesota does it a lot with those late season geese. They use black and whites and full body. You guys have seen Minnesota, their guys are using big owls, dive bombs, big foot, every decoy they can get their hands on they have in the field. Right. And that kind of honestly was my push factor. So a little bit of credit goes to Scott trying and indirectly on that. Um, but what I've noticed is, you know, I was never a big guy on like the whole visibility. Like people are like, oh, I like bigger decoys because they pop more or whatever. And and I've always been a believer in, well, if you're in the field, you know, a duck or a goose is, is a certain size. So if a honker is coming 800 yards high over a field, and he sees live geese on the ground, those geese are no bigger than what they actually are. So when those geese approach and land, you know, the geese aren't getting bigger or smaller. It's just, that's the goose, that's the size. So I always thought, you know, realism, you you want to be the size of the bird that you're hunting, which I still believe, but the color, the contrast, it's, that's, you know, one of the things I learned in the Marines too was, you know, camouflaging. Well, there's colors and contrasts that the human eye doesn't really see, even though we might see a certain color, it actually might be predominantly another color. Um, so what I noticed was, like I said, those Dave Smiths are so real. I mean, they are so real. If I stick them in a wheat field 40 yards off the road, someone's going to stop and be like, oh, there's some geese right there. Right. And the problem is, is when you put those in a darker contrasted field with a realistic contrasted decoy like that, it is hard visibility. And you guys know how early season geese are. You know, they'll short you, they'll slide, they land over in their family group. Well, if they don't see you, good luck. You can call all you want, you can flag all you want. If they can't see the decoys, I mean, that's a problem. Well, what I notice when you mix them is, dude, it... you like when I was scouting or something in the morning and guys were hunting, I just kind of cruise by the field. It was like, boom, there's the spread. You could see it right away. Mm -hmm. And the thing is, if you put your most realistic decoys where you want them to finish, okay, that's where they're honing in on. Any good hunter knows that waterfall feed into the wind. Sure. And so 
your upwind side, put put your realistic decoys, your full bodies there, mix a few dive bombs in, and then run the dive bombs down like a tail in your family groups. That way, when those birds get over those dive bombs, they're already working. By the time they get to the head of your spread, you just did 10 times the work that you had to do to get them down on that approach. And I'm telling you, I... I'll, I'll say it again. I eat crow because I was a non-believer, but it it 100%. If you want to argue it, that's fine. You're just not willing to lay your pride down because you can mix these things in full bodies absolutely 100% without a doubt. You know, I've I've had people, they, they'll get their decoys in and they'll say, well, I see this like there's this little bit of white around the eye, but on a real Canada goose, I don't see that. Or if I look on the bill, oh, I see these little streaks of white on the bill. And I try to explain to people, it's like silhouettes, what makes silhouettes effective is is the postures, the visibility, the way they sit up, the way they don't get lost in the ground clutter. But the number one thing is contrast. And I tell these same people, I say, we do this, the contrast with the black and white. It's like it's it, it goes completely back to the black and white decoy. There's no such thing as a solid black Canada goose. But people have been using them since the beginning of, of – uh, you know, decoy and waterfowl and decoys were a thing. So I try to tell people, I'm like, don't get too caught up in the aesthetics of what you're looking at and saying, man, that has to perfectly match a live goose. It's like what we've done has been very strategic over the, um, I guess, nine years that we've been doing this thing. We've been there, done that with all types of different screen printing. And we, we've been doing this for quite a while. We haven't been doing it as long as some, but we've also been doing it longer than many. And what we found through a lot of testing, a lot of field work, is a formula for contrast and realism, the perfect blend. And that is what makes silhouettes work. When you learn that waterfowl don't see the way we see, we've talked about it a million times, kind of going back to what you were saying about camouflage and seeing things differently. It goes exactly back to that. The number one thing that makes silhouettes effective is contrast. So... Make sure you guys keep that in mind. Now, quickly, I want to do something. We're just going to totally go off the wall. Rapid fire question time. Russo, you're grinding. You're going hard day in and day out. What's your go-to energy drink? Honestly, I've tried to cut back on them because (laughs) my heart's going to explode. But I would say a blue low-carb monster. All right. What's your go? What's your go-to pump-up song on the way to the blind? Mm. Uptown girl. I would say some clients were here the other day. I like that song. Uh, Horses are faster by I forget Ian Munsick or whatever. Yeah, I like stuff like that. Uh, I I don't know indie rock stuff like that. Have to go give it a listen. All right, you're super fired up. Mondo Wad coming in. What's your go-to shot call? A very monotone cut them. <laughs> just like you just said it, cut them. <laughs> Nick, Nick's heard it. Nick, yeah, he, does, he don't say much. All right, Nick, I don't want to leave you out. Nick, what's the most overused saying on a social media caption? Uh, the, uh, what do they say for bands? The stories or something? So many stories. Uh, gosh, dang it. If bands could talk or so many stories. <laughs> whatever that bullshit is. Each each one tells a story. Golly, I mean, save it. What waterfowl nickname annoys you the most? Uh, I've heard I heard someone call mallards mallies. <laughs> That's it. Or or donkeys. Or no, uh, oh. sky pandas. <laughs> All right. That's awesome, man. Okay, Russo, I want to um, I want to go back. Just I, I, that was absolutely awesome talking about. Uh, silhouettes, full bodies. Um, that that's just been such a hot thing this year, and um, you know, I, I really appreciate you kind of coming on and talking through your experience. And now, briefly, I just kind of want to talk a moment about Flatland Flyways. Um, first of all, what is a what is a normal day of Flatland Flyways look like? Are most of y'all's trips are they? we'll just say for November, are they three day or are they five day? Um, what's a normal package look like and what's a normal day at Flatland Flyways look like from the, the, uh, arrival the night before to the time, uh, you know, they get ready the next morning, hunt, whatever meals, what, what's a, 
I say a normal day. What's a normal uh, little package look like from the time they show up? So typically we push like the three day, three night package just so they get ample opportunity. Um, Cause you could have, you know, a day that is a little tougher, but for the most part in November, um, like I said, we're lucky. We hunt a lot of dry corn that's harvested. So basically it's uh it's pretty consistent on success, but so our check-in days are Thursdays and, and Mondays. Um, some come Sundays, uh, but basically what it is, is you show up check-ins at four. Some, you know, if a flight comes in earlier, that's fine. We make arrangements. Uh, if you fly in, we come pick you up with a van and then we bring you to the lodge upon arrival. You'll fill out all your licensing with Megan. Um, release forms, uh, bird cleaning forms. If you want to clean your birds, you can. If you don't, we do have a, a cleaning service that we do um, ourselves, but it is we have fees on that um, just for processing. We don't charge. Obviously, we don't sell waterfall. It's just the cost so that when we have the birds and process it, we're not eating that um, overhead. But so they show up that evening, they get a meal. Um, the girls do an exceptional job. Um, I'd probably put them up against just about any other outfit. They, they feed people well. Um, I guarantee you, you'll probably gain 10, 10 or 12 pounds while you're here. And then the next morning, or, or, or that evening, sorry, us guides will go up, meet the clients, talk to them. Uh, kind of get a little bit of a background, explain, you know, what we're going to do the next day as far as if it's a field or a water edge or what we're doing. Um, some days we know if it's going to be calm and frosty, the ducks aren't going to move. So we'll kind of advise the clients to sleep in then we'll go out midday. Um, sometimes one to three o'clock, those ducks will come out and feed and that's when we'll be hunting. Mm -hmm. um, if they fill their limit in the morning, um, obviously they're done for the day. So then they can shoot trap behind the lodge. Um, we have a pistol range here with, um, steel targets that we can do. Um, there's other games and stuff. They can just hang out. If we don't shoot a limit in the morning and we have to go out that afternoon, we do. Um, some guys request like a duck goose combo. So we can, we can cater to that as well. So they hunt for, if, if they check in on a Thursday night, they hunt Friday, Saturday, and then Sunday morning. Okay. After the morning hunt, you know, let's say that, let's say it's frosty and cold, and I know the ducks aren't going to fly. And I'm like, hey, guys, can you hunt tomorrow afternoon? And they're like, yeah, we can. Um, what I'll have them do is pack their stuff in the morning, um, and then they put it in their vehicle. They'll go to the field with us. We'll hunt the afternoon and send them on their way. Gotcha. The other reason with the three-day hunt, the reason we like that is that it abides by the federal regulations on a three-day possession. Um, if you have four or five days that are just bangers of hunts, well, now you're over possession unless you eat them um, or consume them somehow, donate them. So we just do the three-day package. We also offer one-day hunts, two-day hunts. We don't have a minimum on group sizes. I know a lot of places it's like minimum four, minimum six. And the reason we don't do that is, you know, we get some guys that they just want to come by themselves or we get a father son, mm -hmm. um, that want to come out. And the other thing with that is from the start, we don't charge anyone that's 16 or under, not for the food, not for the lodging, not for the hunt. And the reason we do that is because there are a lot of dads that want to bring their kid on a hunt. That's, you know, something special and they might just not be able to afford to pay for them and their son. Sure. And so we don't charge any, any youth for nothing, zero. And we never will. That's awesome. How many gods, um, between your gods and your staff members, how many people do you have working there during waterfowl season? This year, actually, we have a lot more than normal. Um, just because logistics are number one with me. Um, everything's got to move 100% every day, no mistakes. And so this year we have seven guides, um, and scouts, I guess you could call them guides and scouts. Um, 
that also falls into lodge support. So a lot of outfits that, you know, people have been to, even guys that work here, you know, they've said, holy crap, like we kind of do it all. It's like, yeah, if the girls need help at the lodge, you're helping them. If you need to transport clients, you're transporting clients. If you need to scout, you're scouting. If you're hunting, you're hunting. Like mm-hmm. it's not like you just show up and you're some superstar that gets to shoot ducks and geese and post on Instagram. It's sure. it's a team at, um, up at the kitchen. Um, I believe there's seven or eight um, women that kind of rotate through. There's different shifts and and different schedules that we have that the girls coordinate. Um, And they do, they do a lot more work than, you know, we get the fame. We get the, we get the, the highlighted, Oh, look at these guys. Oh, they're killing them. But you know, when we shoot a limit in the morning and we're done by nine o'clock, they have to entertain the rest of the day. You know, we get to come down, sneak away, get a little nap, and then we go scout sure. and jam out, whatever, and have fun. They're cooking food. They're catering to them. Um, they're selling apparel. They're doing, you know, book work. So they don't they don't get a lot of credit, not, not nearly as much as what they should. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, it's an exceptional team. And I, I don't – I'm not one to – brag or boast because there's a lot of people out there that could that could do this job that maybe don't have the opportunity to sure but i know the opportunity we have i know that all of us are are nailing it and every single day we try to 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 outdo the day before um just because the minute you start getting complacent and think you're the best is is when things start going wrong and that's just that's not the case. We treat every client the same. I don't care if you're a billionaire and I don't care if you're a, a middle-class guy that saved every penny to come hunt here. I, I, I really don't care. I, I just, I care about good people and respectful people. Um, status means absolutely nothing to me. Um, it's just this company, this this passion that we have is to share an exceptional time with exceptional people. Um, I know a lot of people have asked me, well, how many famous people have you had or how many, you know, football players or what athletes have come there? And it's like, uh, none. And they're like, really? And I'm like, no, they're like, you've never had anyone famous. I'm like, well, we take special operators out, you know, from, um, the army. And they're like, what? And then you start talking about that. It's like that, that to me is way cooler. I mean, don't get me wrong. I know you're. No, that's, you're that, hell, that's awesome, hell. man. Yeah. Well, I know you're a hell of a baseball player and athletes are really cool. But at the same time, I, I just stat. The thing is status to me is you, you, you have to look at it and you go, well, what is status? Well, status is an opportunity that someone got and they ran with it. And most people that have a high status are successful, but you also have to give credit where credit is due. And that's where our clientele is so awesome because we do have some extremely wealthy and successful people that come here. And you, you literally could not tell, you know, you could not tell that they are who they are Mm -hmm. because they're just well-grounded people. And that, that's something that we really respect and enjoy is when you can have groups of people that could probably buy my whole operation tomorrow, but they just, they respect you. I mean, 50, 60, 70 year old guys and gals that are listening to 20 some year old guys and, and being respectful. That's, I don't know. It's a powerful thing. Um, definitely dealing with that, you know, and that's for sure. I mean, we're the, we're the same way with the album. I try to tell people whether you're, Buying a dozen or 500 dozen, ultimately, I want you to be happy with your purchase and I want you to be successful over our decoys because uh, the better people do, the more business that's going to drive to us, the more people are going to talk about us and ultimately it's going to help our bottom line. So if we could just be good people, respectful to others, uh, treat others the way we want to be treated, uh, I'm I'm a firm believer that everything will work out the way we want it. So uh, last question. uh, season outlook Canada's closed you know to 
Um, you know, there are obviously there are some people guiding up there. There's some people hunting up there, uh, Canadian residents and some guide service that are running uh, clients from Canada. But, you know, overall, there's not going to be near as many birds harvested in Canada due to the borders being closed from COVID. So season outlook, do you think that, uh, you know, it could be about what it's been in the years past? Do you think we could be in for a, a boomer year? Um, what are you thinking? I honestly, it's kind of like spring when guys say there's a bad hatch or a good hatch or whatever. I just, I kind of take every year, year by year. And I, I think it, every year's got its challenges and, and things that are different. Um, obviously this year is going to be a little, a little bit different. I don't, I don't think it's going to be in a large way that the migration is going to be, um, maybe maybe a little bit slower but there's still calendar birds that are going to be here they're going to move um these things have a time clock built into them um i would say the later push of birds um that that late november wave is gonna be pretty pretty strong um as far as they're not going to be pressured as much i don't feel um and i think there's going to be a little bit larger of a group that comes late but with that being said, we just get up every day, man, and figure it out. I mean, I know even last spring with COVID, we shut down um, our operations just because it was in the early stages. We didn't want to, I guess, invite any sort of illness here to our community. Um, and our guys went out and hunted, and there, there wasn't a good juvie hatch um, at all. And our guys were extremely successful just buddy hunting um, for the month that we did. And I just kind of look at, you know, the the measure of success has changed so much. Um, and I know people can say, oh, he's just, you know, he's saying this to sound good or whatever, but I'm not. You know, social media has changed this entire world. Um if you don't believe that, I would probably call you naive. Um, I mean, just just looking at the country today, um, the power of social media has is, is, is changed all demographics and hunting is one of the biggest ones. And what I've noticed is, you know, success used to be measured by fulfillment of your enjoyment of the hunt or the experience. And now I feel... Not, not for all people, but for a majority of people that I've seen, success is almost measured off of the kill. And that's something that we really strive to change. You know, you asking about Canada um, and if it's going to be a good year, I see every year as a good year because we have clients that are willing to take their time, money, and resources to come to us. And we have landowners that are willing to work with us and let us access their private property um we'll, we'll make adjustments as we see fit to kill birds but i i guess one of the messages i'd really like to get out there on a podcast is that you know people people really need to kind of stop and think for a second this season you know and and not necessarily just about the hunting but they need to appreciate you know, the situation that this country's in and this world's in with COVID-19, for instance, you know, there's a lot of people that don't have jobs right now, um, don't have a lot of the freedoms they used to have. They have a lot of stress, anxiety, um, maybe mental health issues, struggling through this time. And so when you're out in the field with your buddies or your family, you damn well better appreciate every moment of it because th this isn't some Hollywood sport. You know, this isn't about an Instagram story. This isn't about a Snapchat story. You know, a lot of people, including ourselves at times, get caught up in, well, that hunt, you know, they, they, they were shorting us or this or that. And it's like, dude, you were out there with your friends. You were out there with your family. You were out there with, maybe it was clients. And I think the value of life has been lost a little bit in the hunting world specifically um, because, you know, no one's guaranteed tomorrow. And that sounds really, really cheesy, 
but I mean that. And what I, what, what my point is, is anytime you get to go out in the field and hunt, whether it's dive bomb industries going on a trip, whether it's Alex Russo taking clients out and being paid for it, whether it's you going out on a buddy hunt, you better be thankful for that because no matter if you kill a hundred birds or if you kill nothing, you got to go out and share something that everyone in that field shares the same drive and passion and to get frustrated and get into competition. And like you brought up that people were, you know, obviously bickering on Facebook back and forth about if silhouettes going full bodies or not. You know what? Your opinion at times that it doesn't, it doesn't matter if someone wants to try something new, let them do it. And if they succeed, great. If they fail, that's their problem. You know, people have gotten so caught up in watching others almost like they're like excited off of failure or being, they're more concerned about being right. Where this year is a very, very weird year. And thank you to to Nick. Um, He introduced me to Brennan Hudson and Brennan Hudson usually guides in Canada. And you know what? He showed up and, and, and some of our staff had their guard up like, oh, there's another outfit bringing guys here. Like, this is really weird. And you know what? He showed up. I couldn't have been happier to meet a more humble and polite gentleman that was so thankful, so thankful that someone was willing to work with him so that he could make a little bit of money for his family. And I think people get so caught up in, you know, their success versus other success where, you know, we all share the same passion and drive in this waterfall industry. You know, we all want to hunt the X. We all want to shoot our birds. But at the end of the day, we have to put ourselves in other people's shoes too. Like, for instance, Brendan Hudson. You know, we're lucky. We're Our business right now is is booming this fall. It's boom. We can't sell any more hunts. We're full. We can't. And then you look at Brennan and he would kill to be able to take his guys up to Canada. Right. Now, are we both thankful that we've met each other and we've built this relationship? Am I thankful that I've met Nick last year? I remember when Nick left, I said, dude, that Nick guy is something else. Like he's just as polished guy. I mean, as well as Duncan and Daniel, but I was like that Nick guy, like, I don't know. I I really click with that dude. And all these experiences fall into place. And and, and that's something that I want everyone to know about us is we don't take people for granted. We we do not take people for granted. The relationships that we built while starting this company and growing this company are unbelievable and the the experiences that we've shared the first we've shared first hunts with people we've shared we've shared last hunts with people we've we've hunted with people and they've passed away weeks later and those are things that are way more powerful to me and our staff than going out and shooting a limit or getting a sponsorship from someone because the thing is is that this sport you know, is it's a dying breed. Whether people want to believe it or not, there are less and less and less waterfall hunters every single year. And our job is to work together. You know, there's times where, yeah, you, me, or anyone, we might see someone looking at the same field and we're like, oh, God, like this sucks or what. That's human nature. But working together and, and finding common ground to reach a common goal is something that's gotten lost in social media. And that's why I made a decision. My wife, Megan, made a decision. We deleted Facebook. We deleted Instagram. Um, Austin's in charge of our social media because I would just see stuff where I'm like, you know what? Like, I'm just not about that. And I'll be honest. I've told you guys, even with dive bombs, some of the, some of the people, not you guys, but some of the people that, you know, are dive bomb coronies or whatever I'd call them they post this stuff and it's like, dude, that's not what this is about. And that's kind of why initially when Nick brought up dive bomb, I was kind of like reserved about it because Dave Smith, the reason I like Dave Smith so much is there's such a 
professional and like quiet group of people where where I was like, you know what, I want to be a part of that. I don't I don't want to be a part of like the social norm. I want to be different. Sure. And when I took that leap into dive bomb, like I said, it was very uncomfortable for me. But I gave it a chance. And that's what people need to do. People need to understand sometimes you might not like a decision. You might not like sharing a field with another group of hunters. You might not like mixing silhouettes in your full bodies. You might not like having to drive an extra 30 minutes to find a different field because someone beat you to the first field. But sometimes you have to put yourself in other people's shoes and you have to look at the other side of the table and say, you know what? I'm going to do this. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm going to give this a shot. And if you don't take chances, you're just going to, you're going to be stagnant the rest of your life. And if you don't put yourself out there and help people and understand maybe other people's story or walk of life, you're no better than anyone else. And that, that's the biggest thing with Flatland Flyways is we truly 100% from the bottom of our hearts appreciate every single person that's made this work because without you know, companies like Dave Smith or Dive Bomb Industries or even Rogers Sport, Sporting Goods. When we started out, we used Rogers Sporting Goods all the time. Federal, ammunition, you know, they've been with us from the start. Other people say use boss ammunition or use it. Well, you know what? I'm I'm a guy of loyalty. And if you're good to me and you're honest with me, I'm sticking with you. I don't care how sweet of a deal. You know, I, I, I really don't care how sweet of a deal I have. The people that are willing to trust you and take a risk with you are the people I want to be with. And so that's why the persistence of Nick talking about dive bombs, it wasn't annoying, but he stayed on me about it. And look at, look at now. Now I'm sitting here setting dive bombs and loving it. And the thing is, is social media is the absolute devil. And it also is awesome. It's a very good marketing tool. It's a very good way to stay connected with people around the world. It's a good way to stay connected with family, especially during COVID. It's a good way to to talk to people. But it is. It's it it's it's a very scary thing. Um, and it's changed the hunting world. And it's Nick knows. I've talked about it. I'm, I've talked a little bit about it with you, Asher. But it just I didn't want to get on this podcast. I told you guys that yesterday, the day before, like I, I don't do this stuff. I don't like to be in the limelight. I don't feel that I need to tell people how to do things because I'm not the only guy doing it. And I've got a whole crew that makes this happen. It's not just Alex Russo. I'm just the dude that makes a lot of shot calls. That's about it. And the people throughout this country that have other operations and in the industry and stuff, there's a lot of really good places, like a lot of really, really good places. So for you guys to even say the things you did about us, we, we do, I'm not just saying we appreciate it. We do appreciate it because we really try and strive to be the best, not the best killers. We try to be the best people. We try to be the best at customer service. We try to be the best at logistics. So that way when a hunt shows up and maybe a tire blows, we know how to sure. fix that problem without clients knowing anything's going no on. No doubt, man. No doubt. I mean, I <clears throat> there's a lot of truth being spoken there and I don't there's really nothing even I can add. I mean that that sums it up as as good as I can possibly imagine. I mean, you guys got a incredible thing going on over there. Nick Nick, do you have anything that you want to add? No, man. I think that was pretty much textbook. I mean, Russo, I've got a, I've got a great deal of respect for your humility, man. I mean, he was a tough one to get on this podcast, and uh, I just want to let you know we we appreciate you coming on with us, and man, we're looking forward to uh, joining you and the crew uh, November sixteenth to nineteenth. I know it's it's going to be a great time, Nick. He's kind of. He knows what it's all about, and uh, I'm excited to uh, see the operation firsthand. So, man, we've been rocking and rolling about an, an hour now, which is typically our target time. So um, I just thank you a ton for joining us, Nick. Thanks, man. I appreciate it. Do you guys have anything else you want to add? I would just say 
thank you guys. Um, thank you for the kind words and hopefully everyone out there that is hunting has a safe and successful season and just really remember what I said, you know, the hard days, take it in, man. Appreciate it. You, you are not guaranteed tomorrow, nor is your family, nor are your friends. So take it in, appreciate it. You know, if you get knocked down because you have a bad hunt or, or a bad experience, show up tomorrow. I mean, don't, don't quit. Don't, don't get beat down on anything. So definitely. Well, man, you guys keep crushing it. Um, I love, you know, getting the stuff you send. We, we got a little group text where so we'll send over some pics and we'll, uh, just kind of bull crap with each other back and forth. So I, uh, I enjoy seeing you guys success. You guys are absolutely killing it. Nick, um, the boys are in Michigan. They're headed to Wisconsin. You'll be joining them in Oregon. So enjoy a few days off for, uh, heading back out, man. All right. Sounds good. Russo, I'll see you next month. Sounds good. See All you right. guys. Talk to you guys great. soon. Thanks guys. All right. There it is. You heard it here first people. It's not against the rules to mix silhouettes and full bodies. In fact, it's a highly effective strategy utilized by many, many experienced waterfowlers. We have been going hard, traveling across the country, and won't be slowing down anytime soon. Make sure you are following along on all of our social media outlets, and be sure to get yourself subscribed to our YouTube channel. First full-length hunt video is about to drop. I know you guys are going to love it. As always, thanks for listening. Y'all be good. Thank you for listening to the Dive Bomb Squadcast.